0: For those visiting us, we are in a Advent series um, using the, the different hymns of Christmas, the beloved hymns of Christmas, to kind of set the theme uh, for each week. And this is our last one, and, and it's Silent Night. Now, for those of you who have been with us uh, this is my public apology to you for ruining that hymn for you. I have had so many people come up to me, and a couple sermons ago, I took a small quibble with some of the lyrics in this hymn, and I have not heard the end of it since then. So this, I'm sorry, okay? I like Silent Night. Here you go. We were uh, over here singing Away in the Manger, and I think it said something like, no crying he makes or something like that, and Mark Lindo said, you're going to ruin that one for us too? <laughs> so, listen... I love Silent Night. Okay? Here we go. In all honesty, this this is a beautiful hymn. And and, and the reason why is because I think musically and lyrically, it, it really sets the stage for the birth of the Messiah. In fact, its title alone sets the stage Silent Night. A perfect way to describe a world desperate for a savior. Around this very moment, and I'm not exaggerating, exactly 200 years ago, around this very moment, an Austrian uh, pastor named Joseph Moore was frantically walking in the darkness of night. His hands were clutching a paper that contained words of a poem that he had written for two years ago. He loved the words. He had always wanted to put them to music, but just couldn't find the right melody. And that year, 1818, the words perfectly fit the homily that he had planned for the midnight Christmas Eve service that was just hours away. And he really, really wanted to sing this poem. And so, kind of in a last minute decision, he decides to go on about a two mile walk at night to a neighboring town where his friend, who happened to be a brilliant musician, Franz Gruber, lived. Hoping that perhaps Gruber could do the impossible and come up with a melody in just a couple hours that they could sing this poem at their service. He shows up and there's a big problem. The organ that Gruber uh, used to play on and and compose on was broken from a recent flood. Um, So he has to improvise. He gets out an old guitar. And in just a couple hours, creates one of the world's most famous melodies to one of the world's most famous hymns, Silent Night. And there's just enough time to get back for the service. And so shortly thereafter, in a dark, this is before electricity, obviously, so a candle-lit sanctuary right at midnight in a silent sanctuary, the silence is unexpectedly interrupted, by the first singing of Silent Night. I think if we time it right tonight, um, they're six hours ahead of us. So I think if we time it, to, not, time it right tonight, when we sing this at six, it will be exactly 200 years to the moment when it was sung first in this church. And it's such a fitting story to a hymn. I don't know if I'm going to be able to time it right. I gotta, we'll see. But... Don't have my watch tonight, but I'll go fast. It's such a fitting story to a hymn that so fittingly describes the night of the Savior's birth, that dark, silent night that was unexpectedly interrupted by the famous song of heaven that we heard read by our children. I want to briefly, and I mean briefly, contemplate two things, the silent night of history and the loud light of heaven. The silent night of history. Look at verse 8 here. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Can you picture it? The details are intentional, inviting you to imagine this scene. You don't know silence and you don't know darkness like being in a field of a first century Middle Eastern night. Deep darkness. And not just darkness, but fear. The shepherds were keeping watch at night because that was their job. It was dangerous. Not just for predators, but from robbers. So imagine a dark and dangerous night in some ways, though, we don't have to imagine it because it's all we've ever known. I was fascinated this week by the details of verse 8. The details here... Just like the details, the entire birth narrative are not inconsequential. They are allegorical. There's meaning behind every bit of providence of this scene. And what it is, is they are giving us a picture of the world before the Messiah comes. Helpless sheep in a dark night. in the world that we know is a very dark place. That's exactly how the prophet Isaiah described it in our responsive reading there. He said two things about the world, that we are a people walking in darkness, dwelling in the land of deep darkness. The imagery imagery there is, is pervasive darkness that dominates this world. Contrary to traditional religious concepts where essentially you have good versus evil, light versus darkness, this kind of competition playing out, the Bible actually has a far more negative view of the world as we know it. A view that is predominantly dark. It views the the fall, is what we call it in in, 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 in the Christian church. The fall, the sinfulness of man, as this great shadow that has enveloped all of history to this day. Now, that might be a negative assessment of things. That might be a depressive way to view things as as predominantly dark. But can you really argue with its accuracy? Seriously. I think when we truly evaluate things, both on an individual and societal level, Isaiah's assessment holds true. Individually, Isaiah calls us a people walking in darkness. The Bible uses the word walk. To speak not necessarily of your conscious actions and decisions, but to the entirety of your being. Namely, we don't consciously think about walking. It's just what we do when we're not thinking. It's our subconscious way of being. And so when the Bible speaks of our walk, it speaks of who we are when we're not trying to pretend we're, not, we're something else. Who we are just subconsciously as people. And Isaiah sees us as a people who walk in darkness. Our way of being is dark. You may fool others. You may even fool yourself this evening. But you cannot fool Scripture. The Bible sees you for who you truly are. The Bible sees me for who I truly am. My thought life, my hidden desires, my untamed words anger, greed, lusts, corrupt motivations. It's true for me, it's true for you, it's dark, people. But not just individual, but societal darkness. It says those who dwell in a land of deep darkness. So we walk in darkness and we dwell in a land of deep darkness. What does what happens when an entire humanity whose walk is darkness does life. It creates a land of deep darkness. Our world is a dark place. Yes, we could talk about war. Yes, we could talk about mass shootings. Yes, we could talk about corrupt institutions and governments. Yes, we could talk about prejudice and poverty and injustice. There's so many things that we could talk about. But you know what? I don't think we even need those things to convince us that we live in a dark world. You have your own experiences in the land of deep darkness to tell you that this is so. You have been mistreated. You have been abused. You have had your heart broken. You have been abandoned. You have been stolen from. You have been lied to. You have been slandered against. You have been wounded by this darkness. You don't need the news to tell you this is a dark world. You live it. And as if that is not enough, if, as if this individual and societal darkness is not enough, we have to face the deepest darkness of all. We must soon cross that obliterating shadow that lays across the path of us all every moment we draw every, ever closer to the deep sleep of darkness in our own grave. It's dark. So yes, I think that shepherds keeping watch at night is an accurate description of the world as we know it. What is our life and what is this world's history if not a pervasive silent night? Until on that seemingly random and insignificant night, the silence was interrupted by an announcement and the night was overwhelmed by glory. Let's move from silent night to the loud light of heaven. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I prefer their version, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. The night is overwhelmed by the blinding light of God's glory, and the silence is broken by the announcement of good news. Literally, gospel. The imagery, again, is intentional and unmistakable. This birth shall bring an end to the silent night of history. That this is the invasion of light into darkness. In fact, that's exactly how the Gospel of John describes the coming of Jesus. Light that shines into the darkness. So, the question is, does this newborn child actually live up to the promise? Does this child actually deliver on the promise of light into darkness? Well, that seemed to be the case as we watch this man. If you're unfamiliar with Christianity and its claims, I invite you to just get a Bible and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want you to just watch this man as everywhere he goes, the darkness flees. The darkness of disease. The darkness of pain. The darkness of shame. The darkness of sin. Demonic darkness, heck, even the darkness of a funeral, he shows up and says, I'll have none of this. All darkness flees in the presence of this man. But the problem, however, is that it seems to be all flashes of light, not permanent and pervasive light. Is there any way this Savior can permanently change the world from darkness to light? is there any way that he can permanently end the night and give way to an eternal day? Well, it would require something shocking. His own darkness. There is is an odd detail that is included in the account of his crucifixion. While Jesus was on the cross, it says this, at the sixth hour, that is noon, high noon, When the light should be shining the brightest, there was darkness over all the land. On the cross, Jesus is overwhelmed by the darkness. The light of the world extinguished and buried within the bleak shadows of a tomb. And it would seem that John's promise has failed. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. This is not the promise of Isaiah. This is not the promise of John. Well, as you know, at the dawn of the third day, think about that. The nativity takes place at night. The resurrection takes place at dawn. And all gospels note it. As the sun rises and chases away, the darkness of night. At the dawn of a new morning, we sing it there in the ground, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, yet bursting forth in glorious day. I love that choice of word. Yet bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. The resurrection of Jesus was the dawn of an eternal day. The launch of the conquest of light that we read about in Isaiah 9. A conquest that will continue until Jesus returns in blinding splendor of His glory. And every hint of darkness is banished forevermore. When we read that day in Revelation 22, these are the words. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever the first advent light entered the night the second advent light will banish the night now your place in this history I want to ask you a question and then we'll be done maybe the most serious question that could be asked of you What are you going to do about the darkness? I say that to you individually. Remember Isaiah spoke of it on an individual and societal level. What are you going to do about the darkness individually? Your past pain, your past trauma, your darkened deeds, the shame that is hidden in the shadows of your own heart, those things that have never been spoken of or said and you plan to never speak of. And say, what you have done, the good deeds you have left undone, which you'll probably do tonight, which you'll probably do tomorrow, what are you going to do with your darkness? And societal. This cruel world filled with so much hatred and violence and exploitation and disaster and graveyards. This miserable, dark world. World, what are you going to do about the darkness of this world? If you are not a follower of Jesus, then I would love um, to—I would love to be as honest as I can with you this evening—and say that you have already answered that question. You have relegated yourself to the night. You have conceded to the darkness. You have said this is the best there is. Try to make the best of things. There is no hope of light. Even religions do this. Religions are a vain attempt to get rid of the darkness by doing enough good light deeds. But you need to know, if you are not a follower of the light of the world, then there is no hope of the night ever ending. But it doesn't have to be. You do not have to give up yourself to the darkness of night. But even the followers of Jesus, the light of the world that lives within us, you know what I think? I think we struggle in our weakness. I think we struggle believing in the true triumph of light. I think we give up, I think we relegate ourselves to the darkness. I think we go about cynical that this is all there is and it won't get better. I think we give up on hope. But Christmas is inviting us all, actually Christmas is demanding from us all to disbelieve the night and trust in the light. Trust that the light has come, the light will come again. Trust that darkness cannot withstand the light. That's the obvious but often overlooked aspect of the light-darkness motif that runs through Scripture. And it's this, light always wins. They are not equal forces, people. When light and darkness meet, light always wins without fail. Light overwhelms the darkness. And so it is with the light of the world who will come again. In Austria to this day, and really in a lot of churches in Europe, Silent Night is only sung one night of the year. I know we sing it through the whole Christmas season. In a lot of European traditions, Silent Night is only sung in churches one day of the year, Christmas Eve. They get to sing it once. And the reason for that is in this way, they, in a sense, relive Luke 2. They remind themselves of the surprise of what God did that one silent night. They remind themselves of the surprise that is destined to take place when Jesus comes and invades this world with a pervasive light. A reminder that when all seems lost and hopeless in the darkness, that God has and will again interrupt the night, overwhelm, overcome it with His light. Let me pray. Lord, we thank You that this is true. That you indeed will come and overwhelm our darkness with your light. Lord, I pray that as we listen now, that we would name our darkness. We would name that darkness that we in our weakest moments believe cannot be overcome. And that we would let our hope run wild. That we would Dream dreams of redemption, of light overcoming that darkness. Lord, the light has come, the light will come, and the night shall be no more. Invade us this evening with the good news of light to the world. Through Christ we pray, amen.